I tucked in Elena, the three-and-a-half-year-old, last night. They were at our house, and we've got our, all our granddaughters here. We lack two of our grandsons and my son and his wife, but our family's here this morning. And as I was doing so, I talked to her about John 3.16. And I want us to say it together, all right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, when I quoted that to her, and we talked a little bit about it, and she quoted back to me a little bit about it, I said, this is the reason for Christmas. This is what Christmas is about. John three sixteen. God gave his Son. And what I want to do this morning and what I've been doing in these Advent Sundays is going to a passage of Scripture that talks about the meaning of Christ's coming. And it's in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. The Scripture will be on the screen or you can look it up in the Bible in front of you. But I'm starting with verse 1 of Romans chapter 5. And it says, Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We just sang about that. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Verse 6. So you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, here's what I want to tell you about Christmas this morning. It came at just the right moment. That's what verse 6 says. At the right time, just the right time, God acted on our behalf. You know, brothers and sisters, we are the only people of faith on the planet, we Christians, who have anything like Christmas. It's a moment. 
in time and history. It has a place geographically. We believe God did something spectacular and wonderful in a moment of time at a specific place when he sent his one and only son. Some of us have problems with timing. In fact, our lives seem to be fraught with poor timing. We think of things too late. Sometimes we jump too early. We reflect back on our lives and wonder why we haven't had a better sense of the fullness of time. Well, God's timing is always perfect, and Christmas happened at just the right time. The Scripture calls it the fullness of time. And the Apostle talks about the fullness of time in a number of places in Scripture. It is the katakairos in the Greek. In Galatians 4, the Scripture says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman. It was the fullness of time. Not only that, in order to emphasize how supremely important the event of Christmas was and the coming of God's Son, Paul reiterates in Ephesians chapter 1 and he says that he purposed in Christ to be put into effect his plan when the times will have reached their fulfillment. It's not simply the time, not simply human time or human history. But it is the times that reached their fulfillment. It was the fullness of time and the fullness of times when God sent his son. And the coming of Christ at Christmas had universal implications in the minds and hearts of his first followers and of all those who have succeeded them in faith in Christ. For God was setting right something that was broken in all of his universe when he sent his son at just the right Moment. Now, we could talk a little bit about why this was such an opportune moment when the world was united politically, all roads leading to Rome, and when the language of Greece was spoken throughout the empire as the language of commerce and industry. And so our New Testament is written in this language which was known in Israel and Palestine and also all parts of the far-flung empire. It was an opportune moment for God to do something historically. But more than that, it was God's moment at Christmas time because for more than a thousand years, people like you and me have lived under the law, the law which was given by Moses inspired God by God, written by the finger of God on tablets of stone at Mount Sinai, delivered to human beings. And for more than a thousand years, people have been trying to keep this law. And we discovered that we were powerless to do so. Any objective observer of the keeping of the law would say, there's none righteous, not even one. And so, in this opportune moment, when the powerlessness of humans to reach their own righteousness should have been obvious, God sent his son. Just the right moment. Just the right movement of God's heart to ours. Some people would say, well, it was... It was man's turn to do something. 
God created the world. He made it beautiful. He gave us a bountiful planet to enjoy. He made us stewards of the planet. He gave us one another relationships that are so important to us. He gave us the ability to communicate and to network socially so that we could achieve our highest and best good. God's gifts were manifold all around us. It was man's turn to do something. But it was God who initiated a movement at Christmas. And it was just the right thing to address the greatest question that lies in the hearts of men and women on the planet. Why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen? It's man who fouled up creation, who chose badly and always does. We dedicated these seven babies, and they are beautiful creations of God. They are very good in the language of the Old Testament. God made them beautiful, and, and they're spectacular. But I tell you for sure, inevitably and without question, as they come to the age of moral accountability, where they can choose between right and wrong, every one of the seven will choose to do the wrong. And I can predict that faithfully without any worry of embarrassment that one of those seven children will be perfect. You are going to discover, parents, about month six, if you haven't done so, that that child has a mind of his own. And he's going to act out. And while perhaps when he was a baby, you questioned the depravity of man and his sinfulness, when he gets to be two, you'll have no questions anymore. You'll know that child is bent toward it. He's going to learn no before he learns yes. That's just who we are. And it's how we are. And every one of us does it. We mess up the world. God gives us. We mess up the relationships. We choose to do the wrong. It's universally true. And yet, despite our sinfulness and our own moral corruption... And our history of mistakes and failures. We look at the world and we see disease and death on every hand. And we question the creator and his goodness. Some people think it is the most troubling question that people have at Christmas. About the goodness of God. Sometimes ignoring their own failures. They turn to the world and they say, why is there death and destruction in the world if God is good? What is God doing about the evil in the world? Every skeptic and cynic ought to perk up their ears at Christmas and listen to the central message. At just the right time, God did just the right thing. He addressed the evil on the planet experientially by becoming a man. And even philosophically and theologically, he spoke to the evil in the world with his one and only son. Christmas is God's answer to your question 
about why bad things happen. Not that he sewed it up tight and put a bow on it, but that he came himself to live in a broken world and experience its trouble and even its death. And in so doing, address the needs of ungodly people like us. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what the scripture says. God sent his son for ungodly people. Undevoted, unworshipful, ungrateful, living on the planet without any thought of the creator who gave them all gifts to enjoy, carving their own way, doing their own thing. At Christmas time, God spoke to people, unholy, unrighteous as us, and touched the point of our greatest question and need. Not only why is there evil in the world, but what can I do about the evil in me? Just the right movement at just the right moment in just the right manner. Some people think the only way to address destruction and death in the world is to get out the guns and the tanks and the bombs. And sometimes we must do this. And when we are through with the carnage and we have attacked evil as best we can in the world, we look at the mess and we think, did we help or did we hurt? With all the bloodshed in the world, have we only added to the pain on the planet? And deep down in our hearts, we know that that the violence with which we respond to violence, though sometimes it is necessary, it is not a solution. It is too weak to accomplish what our hearts long to see, which is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But you can't get it done with an M16. So what did God do at Christmas? Not bring in the tanks and the guns. He brought in a baby. There are two words I want you to remember about the manner in which God initiated this movement to address trouble and evil and ungodliness in the world. Two words. The first one is this. Love. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God addressed evil with love. You know, those perplexing speeches of Jesus where he says things like, do good to those who hate you and love your enemies. That's what God did at Christmas. This is God loving his enemies. That's what Christmas is about. God coming to the planet and loving those who haven't been loving him and caring for those who have cared less about him and always knowing through the whole movement of Christmas and everything he was doing that he would always love more, that we could ever love him back, even the best of us. 
would never be able to respond with the purity and volume of love that God was giving. So, knowing in his heart he would always love more, he came to love. Not expecting that we could reciprocate in kind. But knowing that love was the solution to the pain and the evil in every human heart. What love? The knowledge that God made me in love and cares for me still and loves me passionately beyond my imagination or ability to comprehend. God loves me. And then in order that we might understand the full extent of his love, the other word, death. God loved the whole world. And Christ came to die for the ungodly. Death. Death is the problem. Death is the enemy. The grim reaper. I mean, that's what strikes fear in the heart of the human. You jump back at the prospect of death. And sometimes we feel trapped by our mortality. And so God sent his son to deliver us who all our lives are captured by the fear of death. And what God did at Christmas is this. He loved and he sent his son to die. And in his very death, he defeated death and was raised the third day. So now you know, after Christmas, and what God did in Jesus, that death is not the ultimate reality. The world is not draped with a black cape. It's not your destiny just to be buried in the ground and disappear from the planet. God defeated death through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. This is the manner in which God addressed the evil in you and in your world. He did so with just the right man. Not everybody could do this. Accomplish this that Christ did. The man who was to die for the sins of the world had to be somebody clean and pure himself. And through all the generations of humanity, there never appeared such a one. And God knew there never would. And so really at Christmas, God gave up on us. God gave up on the human race. There never would be a baby boy born of man and woman who would live a perfect life and really keep 
his will and do his purpose as he intended. Never would. And so at Christmas, a virgin conceived and bore a son. And they called him Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. He's the only one who could do it. There is no other one. God took on manhood at Christmas. Not for a fleeting moment or a brief visit, but to live among us, grow up, become part of a family, experience what it is to be human, and ultimately die on a cross for us. There is no one like Jesus. He's the only one. He's God's perfect lamb, unblemished from start to finish. And though all of us deserve to die and have earned death by our choices, not him. It was evident to everybody who knew him. This is wrong. This is unjust. Jesus dying, being killed? It can't be. Until it unfolded in the plan and purpose of God that he was your substitute and paid the penalty for all that you owe all you feel guilty about, all the things you knew you should have done and never got to, Jesus paid it all. And so the scripture says, we are justified and reconciled. And the words are used a lot in scripture. And we still use them still. I mean, justified. Did you justify your margins? Do you write notes with unjustified margins? What does that mean? You got a ragged edge. That's what it means. Now, if you justify the margins, what does that mean? They're straight, right? Something got crooked between you and God, and it wasn't God. Something got crossways, and all of a sudden, your purposes were not his. Your ways were not his. In fact, the Scripture says you were really against him. And what God did in Christ was he justified humans who trust in faith in him and made them straight, put it back together. Somebody said justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And in a way, that's true. But the truth is really more marvelous than that. And when you get to heaven, you'll understand When you get to heaven, you'll meet some creatures that never sin. And that's amazing. But then they're going to look at you. And they're going to say, Wow, what a God we have in this universe. 
to allow David Crosby into heaven. That's grace. Is that amazing or what? And so the scripture says, for the ages to come and the eons to come, God will show his grace in his kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. And for eternity, you're going to be a declaration of the love and grace and mercy of the creator God. Everywhere you go, in a company of angels and all the other creatures, whoever they might be, you will be the one who is the trophy of grace. What a mess I am. Everybody knows that. Everybody thinks that. Everybody says that. Says that. What a mess I am, God. I don't deserve your grace. Absolutely. That's true. You don't. But God justified you through his son Jesus when he died on the cross. And those who were at enmity with God at cross purposes with him, he made the way straight. He healed the broken places. And not only that, but you're reconciled. I reconciled my bank statement yesterday. You reconcile your bank statement? I hope you do. All right? We love the bankers, but don't depend on them now. Add up your own expenses and income and reconcile your statement. What does it mean to reconcile? You check to make sure that your entries are right as compared with the bank. You're matching them up. And your account is reconciled when they match. It's a finance term, and that's what God is doing for us. He is reconciling us to himself through his son who died upon the cross. And so we, who did not fit and were not right, are made right and made to fit through the work of Christ upon the cross. Justified and reconciled. That's God's gift to us. And Church of Jesus Christ, just a note to build on the thought. What God did at Christmas, he's committed to his church. He came to the planet to justify and reconcile, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So we are carrying the message of the good news of Christmas that God has addressed the evil in the human heart and in the world by sending his one and only son as the Savior and Lord. And we must receive him and know him personally ourselves. And as we exercise faith and trust in him, he saves us, and it's all by his grace. That's the message that the church of Jesus Christ proclaims in its mission on the planet. Now, I wonder this morning if everybody in the room is justified and reconciled. You can't be reconciled to God and have peace with God simply through your own behavior. We have peace with God, he says in verse 1 we just read, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we have peace with God. That's how we are 
reconciled. What God calls us to do at Christmas is to trust him, to acknowledge our sinfulness. That's the first step toward healing in the human heart, is to say, yes, Lord, it's not just out there, it's in here. I know the problem's internal. And to acknowledge that I am a sinner. And you know what? I can't fix it myself. Say, if you could fix the problem in your heart yourself, we wouldn't have to have Christmas. We wouldn't need it. But God wouldn't have to send his son. Just everybody follow your example. You get it worked out, well, do what you did. The problem is you can't work it out as badly as you want to. And part of the reason you want to work it out yourself is, is that monster of pride, you know. I want to do this on my own. I want to carve my own way. Well, Christmas is God's message to the human race. It's good news. God's done something for you, sister. You can't do it for yourself and you don't have to. God will fix your heart and change your heart if you let him. God will forgive your sin. And he'll reckon you right with him, despite all the history that you've got. Why? Because Jesus died for you. And he paid the price for you. And God loves you and he wants you in his family. And you're going to have to stand in grace. He mentions this grace in which we stand. Now, sometimes we don't want to stand in grace. We want to stand our own merit and our own good work, and we think we're good enough. we got to put the pride aside and say, Lord, I know, after all these years, I'm still a mess, and I can't get it right. And, Lord, I want to trust you. I want to ask for your forgiveness, and I want to stand in grace. To come to Christ is to come believing that God acted in him to bring the world to himself. To come believing that Christ died for you on the cross, like the scripture says. To come believing that he rose from the dead on the third day. And this is God's answer to the deepest problem of life. And to come receiving God's Christmas gift his son, Jesus. You can be reconciled. You can be justified. You can have peace with God. But it will be on his terms, not yours. These are his terms. It was very costly to him. He loved you enough to pay it. And he's calling you to respond in faith and say yes. Let's bow together. If you've always tried to make your own way and do your own thing and save yourself, here's a moment when you can give up on the empty notion that you can make yourself suitable for a perfect God. And just in your heart, say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. 
That's who I am. I'm sorry for my sin, particularly running from you. I need you in my life. And I open my heart to you and I receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Would you make the prayer? Would you humble yourself before God? And would you let him make you right? Lord, we pray today that by your Holy Spirit, you would call us to yourself. Complete your work started at Bethlehem. Right now in this room, in this moment, as men and women, boys and girls, receive Christ through faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.